Now, Lord, fill these empty words of mine with a life that only comes through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Be seated. You cannot imagine how hard it was to write a sermon this week. <laughs> Many of you know that so much work has gone into this place over the past few months, and especially this past week. It's been very intensive, and time was short. But we are finally here. Sure, we still have to make the cushions for the pew seats, and let me tell you, it feels like you are seated on clouds. They're so comfortable. And they're coming. They're coming next week. <laughs> you can just suffer one week, I promise you. I hope. Uh, and there's a few other things that need to fall into place, but we are finally here. But just because we are finally here, however, does not mean that this is the end. It's easy to think that, and I have to repent of it daily, and probably will need to for quite a while. This is, of course, for those who have been with us, a culmination of a decade's worth of searching and, and effort. And it's easy to think that we've, we've now become complete, and we are now finished. But this is not the end. This is actually a new beginning. Today marks a new beginning for our congregation, new opportunities to share God's love with our new neighbors, new opportunities to live out the gospel, new beginnings to take what we do inside of here, outside of these four walls, to a community that is needing of purpose and truth. This is a day of new beginnings for us. It's interesting that in our lesson, our first lesson from Exodus, that we have a story about a new beginning of, of God's people so many, many years ago. The story before us is this, the beginning of the story of the Exodus, really. At this time, God's people were slaves in Egypt for 400 years or so. But in our part of the story, the part that we've read today, God is in the works to free his people from the Egyptians. And he is about to lead them to the promised land where they can worship him without fear and in perfect freedom. Do you see how this is the start of a new beginning for them? Now, of course, there's a lot to the narrative of the Exodus, but the story before us just focuses in on this one particular chapter of it. It focuses in on the original Passover meal. So what role does the Passover play and new beginnings, and what might it mean for us today? Well, we don't have time to refresh all of our memories about all the details that happens in the story of the Exodus, but hopefully you recall at least the many plagues that came upon Egypt so that God's people might go free. The tenth plague, which prompted the Passover meal, was the most devastating of them all. We read in verse 12 of our, of our lesson, the first lesson from Exodus, we read that God would pass through Egypt and strike all the firstborns in the land of Egypt. That this would be a judgment on the false gods of Egypt and for, upon those who are oppressing God's people. But it's easy to miss this here, and we can't miss this. Notice that God's people were susceptible to the same judgment as well. Their firstborns were susceptible to the plague, the same plague, the tenth plague as well. But then we read that God provides a way out. God provides deliverance. 
Judgment will come to all because all sin must be accounted for. But God will provide a substitute. This substitute God provides for his people is, is the innocent lamb that would be slaughtered for the Passover meal. The Passover meal is a vivid reminder that life comes from death. Or better, life can only come from death. That the life of the firstborn son can only be saved because the innocent Passover lamb has died in his place. As part of the Passover, God's people were instructed to collect the blood from the lamb and use it to paint the doorposts of their homes. That would serve as a sign, God says in in verse 13, a sign that when a spirit passes through the land of Egypt during this tenth plague, that when the spirit sees the doorposts painted with his blood, the spirit would pass over those homes. The firstborn of these homes would not die because the Passover lamb has taken his place. If you're like me, you're thinking that this is a really, really weird, difficult ritual, a strange ceremony for us to wrap our minds around. It's because our cultures are just so different. We live in a different land, a different culture, a different language, many differences between us. But let this at least be a demonstration of the links God will go through to save his children that he will provide a way out to save his people, his people's firstborn son, and will also liberate them from their slavery in Egypt. Observing this Passover meal that was started on this very night was an act of faith that God would indeed live up to his promises, that God himself would act, that God has not forgotten his people in the midst of 400 years of slavery that on the very night of this Passover meal, God would come and liberate his beloved people. And he did, and his people went free. In every house in Egypt, it was either a dead firstborn or a dead lamb. It was one or the other. Judgment came, and the only hope was for that innocent lamb to take your place. In other words, the judgment got the lamb got the judgment that the people deserved. On that night of the Passover, the families sat around a table to eat the lamb, and they vividly thought, I, the only reason why I am not dead is because the lamb is. The Passover lamb satisfied God's judgment, and his people went free. If we were to read on, in the book of Exodus, on in chapter 12 into chapter 13, we would find that God instructed his people to observe this Passover meal every year, forever. This celebration of God's deliverance is to be a lasting, eternal ordinance throughout all of the ages. The Israelites from now on are to remember what God did this night in our story for his people. They were to impress it on their minds and pass it on to the generations that followed them. It is a reminder, a celebration, not just of what God did that night, but what God continues to do for his people every day and every year. You see, God is, he's not a one-hit wonder. His deliverance isn't limited to just this one single event. See, the event 
of the Passover, even though the Passover is connected historically to the Exodus, whereby God brought his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The celebration of this Passover meal transcends that one historical event, doesn't it, friends? There is more to the Exodus than just simply bringing people out of slavery, out of Egypt. What the Passover meal is, is it's a celebration of the love of God for his people that has always been there and always will be there for his people. The love of God that prompted him to act in the first place to deliver his people out of slavery. And that same love of God which binds himself to his people continues for all time. God will continue to act on behalf of his people. This is what the Passover meal symbolizes. When a Jew celebrates it, he remembers the original deliverance of the Exodus, but not just that. He celebrates and anticipates God's love and deliverance in the future. Now, it's interesting to look how Jesus, a Jew, celebrated the Passover with his very disciples. There are subtle yet profound differences if we were to read that part in the Gospels. You see, in a normal Passover meal celebration, there would be a presider, the father figure of this home, would stand up and he would explain the story behind this meal. He would, he would recount God's deliverance of old in this original Exodus event. He would begin by standing and taking the bread and he would say, this is the bread of our affliction. The affliction that the people of God suffered in Egypt. The affliction that the people of God continue to suffer because they follow God. But what does Jesus do when he celebrates this meal? As the presider of this meal, he stands up. And instead of saying, this is the bread of our affliction, he stands up. He takes the bread and he says, this bread is my body. What he's saying is that this bread is the bread of my affliction that I am going to suffer to give you the ultimate freedom. Freedom not just from slavery and oppression, as bad as that is, but the ultimate freedom from sin and death itself. Jesus is saying, I am taking upon myself the affliction of my people so that they may go free. This bread, this is my body, Jesus says. The second difference, incredibly important in this Passover meal, the way Jesus celebrated, was actually what was missing in this meal. You see, in a normal Passover meal, there's three things. There's the bread, there's the wine, and of course, there's the Passover lamb. Jesus, he had the bread, he had the wine, but where is the lamb? There's no reference to the lamb in this feast in any four of the gospel accounts. The whole point of the Passover meal was for the Passover lamb to be killed and eaten, remembering that that Passover lamb took the place of God's people and the judgment. There was no lamb on the table in Jesus' meal. You know why? Because the lamb was at the table. Because the lamb was at the table. In all of this, Jesus 
in the absence of the lamb on the table, Jesus is symbolically screaming out that I am your Passover lamb. Jesus is saying that I am your substitution, that all sin must be accounted for just like it was in the original Exodus. It must be even today. But Jesus is saying, I am taking your place. I am your substitution. You may live and go free because I am willingly bound and sacrificed in your place, sacrificed for you. This Passover meal that Jesus celebrated is unlike any Passover meal ever before. Now, is this really true? How, how do the Gospels back this up? Is this really the case that Jesus is our Passover meal, our Passover lamb? John 13, John 19, 33 points out that Jesus' bones and his crucifixion were not broken. Why? Because the Passover lamb was supposed to be without spot or blemish. Matthew 27 points out that Jesus died just at twilight on the Passover. Why? Because the lamb, the Passover lamb, was to be slaughtered at twilight on the Passover. Do you get it? Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is our substitute. Now, what all does this mean? Well, God gave us his people. He has always given his people specific instructions to be saved from the coming judgment. It had to be a male lamb without blemish, one year old. It had to be slaughtered on the 14th day of that month at twilight. The blood of that particular lamb and nothing else must be applied to the doorposts of their home. This was the redemption that God was providing for his people. This was the deliverance that he was giving to them. Perhaps they wondered, maybe, maybe they wondered, why, why a male lamb? Why on the 14th day? Why one year old? But this was God's plan of deliverance. And in hindsight, friends, we can look back and see how this prefigured what John the Baptist said of Jesus when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, take us away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice, friends. He's the perfect sacrifice that offers complete redemption for all sin, for all wrongdoing. Jesus is God's plan of redemption fully realized. The Passover lamb in Exodus, our story that we read today, that lamb only anticipated him, but now the perfect lamb has finally come. This is God's plan of salvation. This is God's deliverance for all people today and forever. So who or what are we trusting for our deliverance? Let me speak figuratively here, and I hope you can follow. We've recounted how God's people were to paint their, doors, their, their doorposts of their home with the blood of this lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb. And while we know about Jesus, the perfect lamb, and while we know it has to be his blood that we apply on the doorposts of our hearts, since he is the perfect sacrifice. So often, friends, we rely on someone or something else. Who or what are you trusting for your deliverance, your salvation? What figurative blood are you applying on the doorposts of your heart? Is it the sacrifice of your good works? Is it the, even what your sacrifice of trusting maybe that you're better than most people? Is it even the sacrifice of all that you do for this very church. What are you painting the doorposts of your heart with? What are you trusting for your deliverance? 
There is complete deliverance, friends, but it only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is complete redemption, but it only comes through the perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God. You can't trust in anything else. Your good works will fail you, but God has provided for your redemption. Your salvation is in Jesus Christ. Some of us, all of us, probably are very, very good people. Some of us have a tremendous reputation to lean on. It's easy to be proud and lean on that reputation, isn't it? But that reputation, friends, gets you nowhere with a holy God. Our pride must go regardless of our reputation. Our good deeds, our deliverance is still the same for all of us. And it's not by us. It must be through Jesus Christ. And that's why we trust him. In closing, very quickly, I want to go back to what John the Baptist said of Jesus when he first laid eyes of him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I wonder what it means to behold the Lamb of God, to truly behold Jesus. Maybe, friends, maybe it means that when we come to the Eucharist table, which we will today, we behold the mystery. Maybe it means that we ask what this bread and wine mean and why did it happen. And we sit with that for a while. We behold the mystery. To behold Jesus at the Eucharist table is to be captivated by his love so great for you that he took your place and died for you, for me. To behold Jesus is to, com- is to claim the complete deliverance that we have from sin and death through his blood. To behold Jesus is to take hold of the new life and freedom and purpose that we have in him. To behold Jesus in these mysteries, friends, is to be transformed. So Jesus is ever before us, especially when we gather together like today for worship and we proclaim like we're about to do that Alleluia, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Who or what are you going to trust for your deliverance? Who or what are you going to trust for your salvation? We can either ignore Jesus Christ in our very midst and trust in ourselves, or we can behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and so be saved. Behold the Lamb.